Hello and welcome to the No Holds Barred Witch Perfect Podcast. Today we're going to talk about a random stuff. We have prepared, obviously, way back when, a big list of potential podcast topics. And on that list, near the beginning, was one called Treehouse of Horrors, where we were going to talk about archetypes, and particularly like The Simpsons. That was back when we were doing more pop culture chats yeah i think so the interesting thing about the simpsons obviously is that it's super stereotypical and all of the characters themselves are archetypes but then with the treehouse of horrors where they used to do the halloween specials they would have sort of famous stories and they would slot the characters from the simpsons into those stories to kind of play a role so some kind of evil vampire old Dracula type would be played by like a Mr. Burns or someone like that, you know? It is quite interesting how they interchange and, you know, you can interchange a made-up character that is based on an archetype with other stories. And yet you can still get the best of both worlds. You get the original story and then you also get the thing that they're trying to copy and parody. It's always really interesting when that goes well. Um, do you have any stereotypical people in your life that fulfill horror character roles, Chris? If you were to typecast uh, the next Dracula or, I don't know, The Shining or something, would you have people that you have in mind already to play them? Oh, um. No one jumps. I kind of get rid of all my horrid characters quite quickly early on. Yeah, but surely you must like some horrid characters because you yourself are horrid. And birds of a feather flock together, isn't that what they say? Rude. I mean, you're a witch. You can't get more horror for horror film than that. Yeah, but I spend time with other witches. But other than that, not really. Um. People I can't stand, I either kill or write new stories for. Okay. So who's the most stereotypical um, witch that you know, then? Well, that's probably Lady Poison. Really? Who's the most what, stereotypical. What type are we going for? Are we going for a crushed velvet-wearing, pentagram-wielding... Or are we going for something other type of archetype? No, we're talking kind of like, you know, Brothers Grimm level. Oh, Brothers Grimm. You know, proper proper witchy. Um, European kind of horror story kind of witches. Is it she is she Brothers Grimm or is she more American horror story? Could you imagine her being in that series? Oh, the coven. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. She's well now. She's got a hat that's fashionable enough to be in that series. <laughs> I'm sure that would work just fine. Um, I think. No, I just think kind of like has a cottage, creepy place, little Love animal, um, skulking around in the night in the graveyard, fade fade trap in the garden. It is the no. stuff of nightmares. Exactly. 
likes to play with potions yeah has an actual lab you know that's that is fairly stereotypical dreamland witchcraft well that's a very stereotypical um is it a hammer house of horror where they did the old films old horror films where it'd be super stereotypical dr frankenstein is monster that kind of thing who, who who would play the monster for if Lady Poison is creating monsters in the lab? Who would play the monster? <laughs> I don't know. Probably you. Me? Oh, okay. <laughs> I've got another stereotype that's come to light, but I probably can't share it. Oh, dear. As long as it's nothing to do with Bellamy. No, it hasn't got anything to do with Bellamy. It has to do with old-fashioned back in the day, you know, where they used, like, puppets and stuff for children's television. Like, um, what was it? Uh, Thunderbirds and Captain Scarlet and all that. Are you old enough <laughs> to remember that? Yeah. Just about. Well, I also prefer, you know, the kind of modern adult version, which was obviously Team America. Fuck you. Yeah. Oh, America. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should oh my gosh we should get that for feisty wishes i don't know why i haven't done that i'll write that down now <laughs> what you want a clip of team america we need a video meme for feisty wishes it has all sorts in it didn't it didn't it have kim jong-un in it as well yeah did they only make one of those films or was there more than one i, I there think there's only one, one. I think they only did one. <laughs> right, archetypes. They exist and is not just some bullshit that modern psychologists and such have made up. Because there's a lot of these terms and stuff that psychologists like to make up because they do love to categorise people and there's never-increasing list of things that you can be categorized with but some of the better things to come out of psychology is this idea of archetypes i think that's probably less pseudoscience isn't it than whatever the current strange form of uh, attention deficit disorder variation they've come out of are you mulling things over or have we lost you no, I'm here. I'm here. I just, yeah, I don't know. The kind of stereotypes I think of if, we, if we're if we Halloweening are obviously Frankenstein and his monster, mummies, um, Jeepers Creepers, Sleepy Hollow, I don't know, Headless Horseman. I don't know who I'd cast in all those roles. Genie, granting wishes. Well, we're supposed to be making a tarot deck with patrons in it. Yes, this is true. That's but that's a lot easier to do. To a certain extent. That's a lot easier to do. They're broader contracts. They are, but also how quickly did we actually come up with the names as soon as you've got each card it was actually really easy i think 
I think we smashed that out in like 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. But the thing is, that's esoteric. That's easy enough to kind of naturally do. So if you were some sort of playing a role in some sort of horror film, so maybe they did one of these ones where it's like a mashup, like it's quite popular now, isn't it? A mashup of lots of different uh, fairy tales and horrors and all sorts of stuff like that. If you were to play one of the baddies, one of the monsters, what monster would you be? And would it be Ursula? No, that involves getting wet all the time. But you'd prefer water to air, wouldn't you? Yeah, I suppose. But those aren't the only two elements, Liam. No, but you can't be... You got. It's got to be stereotypical. Would you go more for the look, if it was like dressing up with Halloween? Would you go more for who has the currently... Or who's got the most similar personality to you? Or is it powers... Or is it storyline? Is it speaking parts? Who's got the best one-liners? What would you go for? Well, the natural one for me is obviously it uh, has to be Dracula. But that's because I've always had a bit of a thing for vampires. I've lived forever. That's a running joke with students at work. Mm. Um, I have already have the pale complexion. Um, <laughs> very rarely see any sunlight. Um, yeah, and I never sleep. So yeah, I think I think naturally, um, I'd have to be some kind of Dracula op opportunist. Interesting. So who would fit your mo your your stereotype for your archetype from one of the popular ones these days, the Harry Potter universe? If you were to be cast, or even assume the life of what one would it be? What would you be? Um, I'd probably be Snape. <laughs> oh, that's kind of sweet, really, I suppose, if you know? you know his background and such. Only find out that he's the nice one in the end. What, basically, after he dies? After he's already dead. Would you really pick Snape? I think so, because I... I don't like a lot of the others. So You're not my favourite person. No, my favourite character was Lupin. Really? Yeah, like he was my favourite teacher. He was the, the werewolf one, wasn't he? Yeah, but that was my favourite book, um, and my and my favourite because like his lessons were the most interesting. He wasn't a bad teacher, but considering he was supposed to be quite a good uh, wizard, he was not that great at magic, from what I remember. As the books went on, he was just kind of a bit shit. Yeah, but you you try and be... they can't teach, I suppose, don't they? <laughs> well, no, but also you've got to think of it's a cursed individual, isn't it? Mm. So... He's spending most of his time just fighting his own urges. It would be much easier for him to be a baddie um, and go around killing things. So I imagine it's much harder. 
for him to reach his full potential. Okay. So we have archetypes. To a certain extent, some would even say Thoth, the overall Thoth witchcraft empire is in fact a cult created by two, well, three cult leaders, one of which is somewhat etheric. Um, but what? how do you think people view you? So all of the patrons and the people that watch us, you know, that don't and listen to us, that don't really know us and have never met us and such, but just watch the content and listen to the content and such. How do you think they view you kind of archetypally? Do you um, think they see you as a hero, a villain? What, have you ever given it any thought? I don't, I don't think I would fit into either villain or hero. Um, I think there is a, a somewhat, <laughs> a somewhat amount of fear, but I think that comes from fear to disappoint, you know, fear that they might disappoint. So you're, you're thinking that when they look at you, they see fear because they're scared of you because they're worried about disappointing you. Yeah, as a teacher. Right. Okay. Well, there is a lot of fear, isn't there? And there's lots of people that won't reach out and talk to us because of fear. Hmm. I don't think we're that bad. There have been moments when I thought, when I've spoken to someone and they've spoken to other people and the other people have got very strange ideas of you or me or both of us really and I do wonder where some of these come from I wonder how much of it is projection in terms of the person themselves projecting onto us what they view the magical world like or what they view other practitioners or anything like that because I find that a lot of it is People with strong views about us, I think, tend to tend to project a lot. There was a certain running in a group I was um, part of, and a certain someone basically decided to leave because I think they were projecting onto others, um, thinking that because they probably are sad and full of self-loathing, that they think that everyone else seems to hate them. And I don't think that that's necessarily true, but I have seen that uh, repeat over and over and over again with regards to people that may have had bad experience with certain people, but because they've had bad experiences, that kind of becomes part of their personality. The sort of people that maybe that person was laughed at once for something and all the people in the room laughed at them. And now whenever they go into a room and there's laughter, they assume that everyone's laughing at them. That's the impression I get. Now it's unfounded, but how do you, have you ever had any experiences like that in terms of meeting people like that or having clients like that or patrons or mentees like that? Because it's, it's quite uh, crippling, I think, particularly on a path like this. Yeah, I've I've had I've had clients that just don't have enough faith in what they can do. And regardless of how how many times you tell them 
they're on the right track. Mm. They think you're being nice. Or well, they should know better. Encouraging. And you're just kind of like, no, if if I thought you weren't doing it, I'd be giving you a lecture, not not trying to fluff you up a little bit in order mm. to allow you to manage to get through. It would be, you know, think about it again. Let's try that again. Um, re, you know, I think it's very rare that we ever have to revisit previous homework, if that makes sense. Like, it's very rare that we've had to ask them to do that a task they've already done again. Mm. Um, on the people that we have had to do that with, it we've had to repeat and repeat and repeat. Um, but I don't think actually there are many that have ever had to do that. Um, I do wonder sometimes whether or not certain individuals... Someone's drilling through my wall, apparently. Oh. Oh dear. So. Putting the mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest of them all? Putting that on. Uh, suddenly decided today was a good day, apparently. <laughs> Can you wave your hand and make them fall off the, the set and drill through their head or something? That's the sort of thing you do, or is that unethical? Afterthought. Hi. Oh. Oh, good. Yes. That's really annoying. Do you want to stop or do you want to carry on? <laughs> um, oh, it stopped, but I don't know if that's permanent. Oh. So, yeah, what what is really which I kind of hope doesn't happen, but I'm never sure, um, is that whenever people avoid in order to actually, because they can't, um, haven't got somewhere, and that, that I sometimes wonder if that reflects badly on us, if someone's avoiding mm -hmm. talking about something. I think sometimes it, you know, there are lapses where they need the confidence to have that conversation. Um, you know, I know myself, there are conversations that you just avoid having on the basis that you are not ready to hear the answer. So with, um, you know, when you kind of like, oh, I know I didn't do that very well, um, but I'm not ready to be told that that was shit. Like, mm -hmm. you know, those kind of like, actually, we need to, I need to have kind of thought the process through myself before I'm then ready to actually ask a question. So I wonder if sometimes that's what we get from some of our students where they kind of go, I'm not ready to hear Chris and Liam dress me down on that yet. Um, so maybe I won't mention that bit of the homework and we'll go and talk about a, another project that I'm working on. Um, so I wonder if any of them have ever um, lied about having actually finished doing something and delayed mm. actually talking about it until the next time um, in order well, to kind is, of... 
there are some that actually say I'm not ready to talk about this yet. I will be finished next time. So they've made a start on it, but they're not ready to present it. Yeah. But that's personal pride, isn't it? That isn't a fear, I don't think. I think there are people with a lot of pride that put a lot of pride into their work and they like things just to sell. And then there's people that just put a time limit on it and say, well, I've managed to do this, this and this. This will have to do sort of thing. Um, have you yeah. ever handed someone their ass in terms of a mentee have you ever got fausty and feisty with any of them for not doing something right or not doing something at all um rare but when i have yes i've gone to town oh can you tell us about one you don't have to give any names um Come on, us witches love to gossip. Yeah, I know, but it's it's always you that makes me gossip. It makes me appear to be the bad one. You are uh, the bad one. You're the fastiest witch of them all. So I've had a few I've had a few cases with different clients over the years where they're just not getting something. Mm. And you're kind of aware you kind of You've explained it anyway, every way you possibly can. But actually, the problem is they're just not listening. Right. Um, so I've had a few a few clients where that's, you know, I've had more clients than I have mentees do that. They just kind of like, you're missing the point. The point is it's not going to work that way. Mm. So, you know, bag your pride up. Do you think that there is that there's an old expression, right? Um, something it goes something like there's no such thing as bad students, only bad teachers. Because I've always thought that's bullshit. Um no, I think there are receptive students and students that oh. aren't receptive. Um and I don't think that's necessarily the person's fault i think if you've as a teacher there is a case of you need to bend in order to for a student to engage mm, yeah and you that's your job so for students not engaging yeah that, that i feel is your fault really? because there's not there's an opportunity because if the student's not willing to put any effort in, then it's their fault, it's the student's fault. But if the student is willing to put effort in and is trying, it's the teacher needs to find a way that the student can learn. Because you can't really educate someone that's not willing to be educated a lot of the time. But someone that's really trying, and trying as in putting effort in, not trying as in a pain in the ass, someone that's really trying to put effort in, you have to develop a way and try to understand and work out how they learn. Have you got any magical stories for us where you've actually had to do that, where you've had to completely change the way in which you imagined teaching a subject in order just to teach one specific student, whether it be like in a workshop setting or whether it be one-to-one? 
Um, one to one workshop workshop happens less likely, but that, I think that's because you don't engage with them as a group necessarily in the same way. So I think those tend to happen in a way that allows um, you to build at least, you you know, with groups you're hoping that all of them will take something away, but you'll, you know you'll get more engagement from some than others yeah. just because of the nature of a mixed workshop. Um, I think when it comes one-to-one, um, there have been moments where I've had to go, you're not going to get this my normal way. Mm. I'm going to have to change the way in which I explain something or or I've had to break down something into multiple steps mm. that normally I reach with one um where but that's that's just the nature of individual individualized curriculum kind of you know yeah how do you personally learn then? If you had to learn a subject, what, how is it that Christopher learns? The which of them all? And obviously, downloading information isn't allowed. That's the you have a nice color page notebook or something. How is it that you, you would learn best? Or if you were to teach yourself something? Um, for me, it always starts with research. I kind of have to find out what I know before I change. So I kind of need to have assessed what do I know and what don't I know. Um, and then I need to learn more about things I don't know. Mm. So at that point, so I kind of need that kind of framework of things. Um, I think we were talking about it the other day. Uh, for me, it's about as many perspectives as possible. Um, then kind of brings that down into kind of going, okay, gathered gathered the information. I know these things. Um, I need these skills to be improved in order to do it. Um But I do enjoy looking at lots of other different ways of thinking. So the more opportunities I can find, the better. Um, did that make sense? It kind of does. But are you a, are you a note taker or are you like the uh, Nikola Tesla type that just keeps all the knowledge and stuff in their heads? Because I know you're a multiple tab type person. Whenever I've seen your like computers, it's got like a million tabs open in several different browser windows. Um, I like to collate. Yeah. But I'm not a, I'll finish reading this thing, then mm. I'll read this thing. Like to me, my brain works more like a, one of those spider diagrams where you just kind of oh, yeah. like... I like to see all of the working. Um, so, like I said, I'll, I'll gather all of those sections. And if that fires off an extra thought, mm. um, if I know I can't go down that, that corridor at that time, I'll write down the corridor name and then kind of come back to it later. Um, mm. 
I think that's possibly why I kind of empathise with ADHD a lot more than other um, kind of learning start, you know, learning issues, because my brain does do that. It kind of fires off in these um, dead ends and <laughs> and other alleyways that I'm not supposed to be going down, but just kind of like, oh, someone went down there. Let's see where they're going. Uh, maybe they know something different. Um, so, yeah, so I kind of have to rein myself in a lot um, in order to make sure that actually I still stay on task. Mm. Um, so for me, it kind of involves lots of lists um, or, like you say, lots of spare tabs that aren't about the current thing. Uh, but are something that I want to go back to because I've stumbled across a thought while going down something. So, um, yeah, my, I'm one of those people that my lists have lists. Um, right. Yeah. Well, that's it for the regular edition of the No Holds Bar Witchcraft podcast. Sorry about the noise with the drilling and that sort of thing. We'll go into extra time and we'll post it on the Thoth Witchcraft patreon and in extra time i think we need to go into a little bit about what currently you are learning or what we're both learning and various other projects maybe that we've got on because it's interesting to uh open up about our own works isn't it but there we go that is it so what was the last occult related thing that you actually had to learn whether it was a skill or research or um, an ability or something like that. Can you remember what it was? Give us some insight into it. Um, I look up things a lot of the time, but that's because my brain doesn't hold everything. So I kind of go, I know there is a random, um, random deity from this part of the world that does that. Mm. Um, so I'll then kind of have to put in a search engine those words that make sense to me right. and then kind of scroll down images until I, oh, that's the one I mean. Um, because, yeah, like, because we channel so much all the time, I find holding on to names particularly hard. Mm. Um, so it's one of those things where I kind of, I'll often do that. Um, well, they've got so like, many names, aren't they? <laughs> you know, exactly. So you just kind of like, oh, okay. Cause, but mainly that's for, not for me. That's for the client or the, stu the student I'm talking to that goes, yeah. I need them to have that, f that word they can search later um, that might be useful or um, the image that might be useful in order to unlock something that they need to find. Mm. Um, I think the most recent one of those was, I think I was talking to our favourite runester um, about um, kind of First Nation spirits. Okay. Now, obviously, the problem is I don't have any kind of First Nation um, background, shall we say, for lack of a better word. Um, but I have interacted with them at multiple mm. points through life. So kind of like I'm very aware of them, but not in a way that I'm on first name basis. So, you know, and you're kind of like, well, there is that thing over there that you probably should have noticed or um, 
so when students or or clients are talking to me they kind of trigger i feel like you're getting triggered right now <laughs> all right yeah so triggered hashtag triggered um so is it literally so the most so the things that you tend to have to research and go and look up most of all when it comes to the occult is what spirit names or spirit classifications and stuff like that because that's quite interesting because there's so many people that work with different things and have an interest in different things and attract different things i can see that is there any other things that you generally have to research or look up so for me like i say a lot of it is images so I kind of need to find an image that kind of goes, oh, that's what I meant. Yeah. Um, and then that way is really useful for kind of sharing that aspect. So you kind of hand someone over to to an image that kind of goes, okay, go and go and work with this image, see what you get. Um, but that's just because I'm, I'm very right-brained in the mm. way in which that I kind of operate. So it kind of makes sense that, when sharing that language kind of words aren't necessarily what's required mm. um, they just kind of need a doorway mainly because i think it a lot of the time when you give a name of something a student or client can't resist but to look that up mm. and then all they're yeah. getting is somebody else's interpretation and not then learning it themselves so like i said i'll often find the thing i mean then send them the image um or the doodle or or whatever in order to kind of do that so what magical projects have you got on them that haven't that aren't related to students and mentees is there any areas of magic and the occult that you're working on at the moment or exploring or have projects that are related to specific areas you've normally got loads of projects on i know you're cracking on with your um yarns and that and there was a dye one at one point wasn't there dye, dyeing. yeah so there's all there's always kind of some kind of textile project going on um and these days I seem to attract more and more practitioners that are doing something like that. Mm. Um, I know, like you were saying before, kind of like attracts like. Um, at the moment, I've been getting trying to get to know some plants that I don't really have a great relationship with. Um, for example, I found somewhere what I'm on my walks, obviously. Mm. Yeah. Um, I went looking, uh, just kind of stumbled across something last year that when i went to go and get it um somebody had cut it all away so there was a section of the kind of um canal where someone's back garden had got these kind of hops kind of jumping oh. over the wall um so i'm not still not entirely sure whether or not they are something that they've grown on purpose or if they're wild um mm. but it's just I don't like ale and beer. Um, I never have. I don't like the taste. 
it's just not something you know i'll normally go for a cider or i'll go for something kind of wine um the only kind of grains that i take are normally in the kind of high proof varieties of gin and what whiskey he likes the whiskey does he our feisty witch So how far are you going to go with that then? So you've identified the the, the um, plant. It, does it go as far as it just annoys you until you know exactly what the plant is? Or is it a case you hear it calling out and you need to find what use it is? So getting to know it as if, oh, is it trustworthy? Do I like it? Is it a relationship worth fostering from a plant spirit ally? How is it that that, you know, takes hold? Because it, it's a... The problem with people with multiple projects is that what do that what comes out of them you know is it just knowledge or do you feel like oh i've got to find something i've got to incorporate into something because there's a certain someone i know that you also know that they have to do everything the hard way and they have to use it they have to master it before they can kind of let it go i suppose but how far do you think this hops thing's going to go for you? Are you going to start making something out of it? Or are you just going to be happy next time you see it, you can identify it? Putting serious thought into this. I don't think I've ever, ever seen you think so hard. <laughs> It's not that I'm particularly thinking too hard. It's me trying to mute, mute my microphone long enough for you to not be as wound up by our, as I am by the fact. I, I see. Everything, I think at this point, everything my next door neighbour has installed in their, what I imagine is their living room, um, seems to have to be drilled and installed into the wall. Um, mm. But, um... Anyway, so yeah, what I was trying to trying to do essentially is kind of assess why the problem is. Um, like, bearing in mind, I've recommended hops before many a time with different um, clients that were struggling with sleep, those mm. sorts of things. Like, it's one of those plants that you know does a lot with supporting that, not just because it's you know an alcohol. Um, searching kind of thing um so the being that a grain that we use for that for fermentation is just that also i think it's a very pretty looking okay. weed like so I'm, i've always been fascinated by what it is and what it's what it does so i thought if i had some of it to kind of study um so yeah, so I've I've got I've got a, a nice a nice piece of one. Um and what's interesting is now that I've taken it, <laughs> the this seemed to be the year that the per whoever it was didn't decide to cut it all down this year. Oh. Um so it's actually naturally faded away. Mm. Um whereas last year it was kind of taken before I could take it. Mm. Um so I feel a little bit vindicated by actually having gone through the process. 
Um, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not the kind of um, to answer your earlier question. I'm not the sort of person that kind of has to do it the hard way kind of person. I'm more than happy to, you know, and channel my way through life. Um, but kind of when I have something I particularly want to figure out, I do like to do the work. Um, and I like to do the work cerebrally, kind of mm. first, often. Um, kind of like with the work I did a couple of years ago with planetaries and my little soap operas. It's mm. kind of one of those things where I just kind of want to work my way through it. Um, because I expect it of students all the time. Um, so I kind of want to have those weird versions of the experience rather than just the easy kind of, um, well, you just borrow that from yourself or um, have a chat with somebody else, you know? But what about you? So I'm a little bit more mercurial, but I think that you would relate in that you come from a craft background, like an art craft and classical craft background. So you've talked before about um, master craftsmen and women when they have to produce their, I would, you would call it probably an art in the score. I remember we were always, we had to make a final piece, which we'd be judged on, right? I tend to have that. So when I latch on to something, I always need to have an end. So I need to feel like this is all, whether it's research or whether it's something, it needs to end up as something. There needs to be something to show for it at the end of it. Otherwise, I'm not very good at kind of letting go of things. So for me, like of late, I've been experimenting with poisons and such. And obviously we did that poison, uh, the Fasty Witches show where we were talking about flying ointments and that, and I went uh, foraging with a lady poison, Mr. Railroad, and that sort of thing. So for me, the balance would be poisons applications. So how would I actually use the information? Because I'm not really one for the flying ointments and stuff like that. But for me, my brain can latch onto I need to make the perfect flying ointment formula so for me it would be a case of okay looking at all of these things what's safe what's not safe what can be got hold of what can't be got hold of what's easy and putting all that down coming like a structure almost like a story of how I've got there so whether I would obviously produce a formula for it but I'd also experiment and test the formulas but then it what would it be would it be a blog post would it just be a formula for me nowadays since we've been doing more of this stuff where we release content i try to think of it more as i produce something that someone else can follow as opposed to just back in the day it would more be either what makes money because what makes money generally pays for the whole project at the end you know so if you're, no, like, I get what you mean. if you're experimenting with incense making i would produce some incense and then sell it and then that would kind of be the end goal um but yeah, with that kind of thing, it's a case of when do you let go? Because herbal medicine is something that I've struggled to let go of. But for me, that's about perfecting the way in which it's taught, I think, now, because I dislike it. I think that you know, <laughs> herbals and all that sort of thing, they really haven't moved on all that much. 
And it was interesting, and purely by chance, the algorithms obviously knows more about what I want than I do. Uh, the YouTube algorithm presented me with a video, okay? And it was something about uh, how medical students revise for exams or learn, basically, because they have a considerable, huge amount of information that they're supposed to, you know, pull in and basically learn it. And there was a guy on there who was talking about he uses a thing called layering. So there's only three layers. And he was talking about why isn't this how you actually learn or get taught at schools and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, it's very interesting. Um, but the basic concept is, is a little bit like a, a cross between a spider diagram or mind map and note taking and stuff like that. But what you do is you have three colors and three circles. You've got the first color, which we could say red, for example, and it's this circle and you fill in that circle with all of the most basic, simplest information in that. So we yeah. apply that to herbal medicine, you would put herb, so you would just write the word herbs, you would write the word tincture, you would write the word yeah oil he doesn't tell you how to make any of it but it's just like a big collection that i think tends to read more like a contents page more than mm. anything so the whole point is that okay these are all words and terminology that's going to come up a lot if you start to study herbal medicine so the first thing you need to do is to understand what the fuck the terminology actually means so I thought that this was really interesting because obviously you know that I do a little bit of writing and that's how I tend to write and make my notes is I always write the title page first. Um, and then the next section which would be going on the outside is basically going into a little bit of detail on every single one of those points that you've put in the first circle. So there's a tincture, what is a tincture, how is made, how do you distinguish between uh, a tincture and a uh, oil what might you use for one and not the other like uses that kind of thing and then on the outer layer would be kind of like the really complex stuff which would be about chemical constituents and those really fucking long words that no one can mm. read and when you look at it and when you try to research yourself particularly when it comes to herbals you see okay here's the name here's the scientific name and then here's the chemical constituents and then here's the um what they would call the uh energetics and this and that and the other but you think well most of the stuff at the very beginning is the stuff that's the least useful mm. so i was experimenting with when i was writing and putting you know formulating my herbal the online one that we're going to release for the you know, Thoth, new Thoth website and the app and everything. I was kind of thinking, well, really, actually, when you look at those circles, it needs to be, you need to put it in the order of the first circle, say the red one, and then go into the blue one, and then go into, say, the yellow one or what have you, condensing it and keeping it in three circles, because we like three. But the most important thing is that you're not putting something from the third circle in the first one. Yeah. And not letting this is the really interesting thing you're not letting someone delve into subjects that are in the third circle until they've mastered the first and the second and this isn't something that i find teachers actually do because partly they can go off on a tangent kind of like i'm doing now 
but also <laughs> think about like if you were to teach i've seen this particularly in medicine but to a certain extent in construction and stuff like that as well that you think okay in the youtube video the guy described it as okay we're going to learn how to build a house okay now you would have thought a teacher would say we need to understand the basic structure of what a house is we need to understand how with the foundations we need to understand that because that's logically how they're created but when you look at curriculums and stuff like that it's a okay we will know how to how to make a house but we're starting with the kitchen we're just going to focus on the kitchen and it means you go into huge detail about plumbing and where the sink needs to be and that there needs to be an oven and all that sort of thing but then you don't have an overall picture of how everything interrelates all you get is I'm, I'm on a course of learning to be a doctor or I'm on a course learning how to build houses as a general builder and stuff but all I'm getting is I spent the first year just learning kitchens you know it's kind of like how, how, how does the roof work how does the foundation oh well I've just learned the kitchen then we're going to be moving on to the bathroom mm -hmm. because it's, you know and it's kind of like I start to no think, but yes. that style of that style of teaching is about result so mm. it's about well you need to know where we're going in order to which is how we teach how you know where do you need to go mm. what is where are you trying to get to in order to yeah. now you couldn't go i want you to design a whole house mm. you've got to kind of go room by room in order to actually understand what clients want what is possible and then you've got to take it back to that foundation actually looking at kind of go well actually you don't have everything that's needed to make the kitchen do you um but you have at least put the client first so the ultimately you're kind of going okay what is the realms of possible because the the other problem is if you go with something like that if you were to go from the ground up mm. we're going okay well this is what a foundation looks like Mm. Um, but you can't actually conceptualize what's possible um if all we do is go well actually all foundations look the same well they don't foundations are completely no, different the idea based on... that you understand the stages because you understand that the foundation needs to be built before the roof and it's because uh, i struggle when i don't get given an overall picture so if you're just okay and this is the problem where i always struggled at school with curriculum and stuff because they would tell you this they wouldn't show you the application but then they also wouldn't show you what it leads on to the one thing i really liked about anything engineering related that is all machines essentially and it's all processes that make logical sense and need to be done in a logical order so whether it's cooking and making a cake or whether it's building a house you need to understand the order that things go in, which is like yeah. the contents page, essentially. But you always learn about, well, at least in the the now, which I understand and I totally agree. I like the, I missed a big picture, mm. but ultimately I also understand um, when it comes to teaching, because I actually do the opposite in my daytime. Um, because my students can't necessarily cope with the big picture mm. so we have to start with learning by okay well this is a stitch then you start making more stitches then we kind of go okay well we've got this much left 
So what do you want to make that into now? So I I have to teach that way because of the, the types of students I work with. And I think that's kind of how modern teaching has kind of become is the like we don't learn we're making a car. What mm. we do is we learn about combustion first. Mm. Um, we learn about the fire triangle um, and how how that works. Then you learn about and then next time we kind of go, OK, um, those things come together in what we call building a car. Um, but you've kind of learned all the stages as you went along. It's not until often in kind of, you know, British education, it's not until you go up to that next level that you suddenly learn that's what you were learning all those things for individually. But then you don't, though, do you? That's, this is the problem. And if you're talking British education, you'd be talking about the teachers themselves don't understand the curriculum. They don't understand the purpose of a lot of the curriculum. Because if the school is supposed to prepare you for later life, at the point in which you can leave at, say, 16, you need to be prepared by that point. Um, and I think that there is a lot of bolt-ons and stuff like that. I think that the world revolves a lot of the time around politics. Education revolves around politics and how many politicians ever plan and see the bigger picture or is it just the short term which wins elections is it just a societal thing what do you see in education because you work in education you've been part of education in numerous different ways for me we've moved away from self-sufficiency what we've learned is we've broken up everything into small parts and everybody only learns the parts. They never learn what the whole thing looks like. Mm. Um, except in those circumstances where you specialise. And I kind of feel like we specialise far too early. Um, you know, in the Steiner kind of education that I've been kind of exposed to now. Yeah. You see that actually what's important is play. Mm. Um, so you learn to play first. And in playing, you make that play as as um, multi-layered as possible so that when it comes to actually figuring stuff out, you've already figured you are better at problem solving because actually in play, you've learned actually solving problems is really fun. Um, whereas what we do in kind of mainstream is just present lots of problems mm. and say you'll be fine if you can solve these um rather than kind of going actually problem solving is fun when it's situational mm. um so i a, a lot i don't know i i kind of look at where education's come from the different formats of education and i kind of go i'm not surprised that we've got to where we are and particularly in the UK, in reality, yes, it doesn't work. But at the same time, it's tried to make the process more equal. And that has been the focus that we've been working on. Rather than actually going, are we teaching people individually in the mm. way that they need to be taught? Um, so, you know, we have comprehension schools here now is instead of having what we had before, which was, 
you went to a you know a kind of grammar school or you went to a state school and either of those meant you were either going to be taught um kind of hardcore business and sciences and academics or you were teaching craft um and having those separate uh, separate um meant that originally you depending on your background would have depended how well you could have done mm. um, whereas comprehensive schools kind of allowed you to in a theory to take the best of both of those and meant that they were no longer specialized you all learned the parts but the problem is you've now got to the point where we we know all the parts we just don't know how they go together um and a lot of that is is due to kind of class divide etc and you just kind of like so now we're at a point where everyone has an opportunity but it really is ba based on how hard you're willing to work for it um because the hard bit is actually learning it mm. they provide they teach 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 to pass exams but no one's got time to teach you what how these all link together mm. and you need to be smart enough to do that um so you know what actually it turns out to be is that people only learn as quickly and as fast as they can um and how hard they're willing to work to get to that next part um you know i don't know yeah. it's a difficult one i like steiner and i've really enjoyed it but i also know it wouldn't have worked for me yeah so i needed to have to work and figure it out myself and the comprehension system worked for me um but i couldn't you know and i've said it to many of the other style um teachers at my kind of where i work and a lot of them like oh no that's just that's just your frame of mind i'm like no it wouldn't have worked it was too free and easy i'd mm. have either got bored quickly um and stopped trying mm. um and i'd have just coasted or um i'd have just put so much pressure on myself because there wasn't any um and had some kind of breakdown um i kind of can't see how i'd have how it would have nurtured me in the way it needed interesting um because they so, wouldn't yeah. give you enough direction to tell you where you're supposed to be going so you'll be asking well where am i supposed to be going where am i supposed to be going and if they don't give you one you decide but you don't have the bearings to make that decision. Yeah. So last question, then we've got about a minute left. If you obviously come from a number of different backgrounds, but let's assume that you have no innate magical ability or experience in magic, okay? okay. In some dystopian, strange alternate world. Chris wakes up this morning and he decides, actually, I want to see if this magic stuff is real. Where do you start knowing your personality and backgrounds and everything like that on that little quest? What would be your go-to start? Well, my go-to start would have had to have been probably in a similar way it actually went, which was to read more. Mm. So for me, it was seeking out as much. I knew no one would be able to teach me 
what right. I needed them to teach me. Yeah. So what I've always done, uh, magical or otherwise, is I've got I've seeked out knowledgeable people right. in the fields that I needed. So it would be a case of, oh, okay, I need to know more about, I don't know, spell casting. That mm. guy seems to be knowledgeable about it. Let's listen to that person or find the things that they wrote. Um, for me, I'm all about the original, which is which is a really poor habit of mine. Um, it expands how much I have to learn all the time, um, is that I'm not good enough it's not good enough to just hear one person's mm. ideas. I've got to hear where the idea came from. Right. Okay. Well, that is it for this edition of No Holds Barred Witchcraft Podcast. And goodbye.